Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Uh, it's an honor to, to be here uh, with you. Uh, as I'm talking, go ahead and turn to Luke 1 is where we'll be. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you. Uh, I cherish my time at seminary. It was formative for me in a lot of, a lot of different ways, even ways that I didn't expect with the Lord shaping and molding me. So I pray that uh, your time here, uh, which I'm certain it will be, will be used to the Lord mightily. And thank you, Dr. Aiken, for allowing me to, to come and to be here. I'm grateful for the way the Lord's using you uh, to help get the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. So keep at it, brother. Before we dive in here, uh, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer and ask him for help in the preaching and the hearing of his word. Father, we come before you and say thank you. Lord, we know that every time that we breathe, we suck in mercy. That you, even now, are the sustainer of our lives. It's been that way since... Since the moment we were conceived in the womb, you have sustained our lives even up to this very moment. You have been so faithful to us. And we pray that now, as your word is proclaimed, that you would give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, ears to hear, eyes to behold the glories of Jesus, minds to understand and and resolve to obey. And God, that you would warm our affections, that we would love you and the great grace that is offered to sinners like us all the more. God, would you work the miracle during this time of changing us into the image of Jesus. And God, might the effects of that bless your work among the nations. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the year was 1997, and I was 20 years old. It happens quickly, so just know that. Um, If you would have known me then, my life would have been characterized by basically, I just wanted to have a good time. That's what life was about for me. Uh, That meant lots of sports, lots of parties, lots of relationships. And um, yeah, basically, I believed that there was a God, but my life was in no way submitted to him. And there was a particular girlfriend that I had, and um, we were kind of on and off, and um, we had spent a weekend together and then didn't see her for for a couple months and came back and we decided to go on a date. And we we went out and things were a little weird, and I asked her, I said, what's going on, you okay? And she said, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you that I'm pregnant, and it's yours. And, and I said to her, I said, okay, I said, listen, we'll, I'll find a way to, to help you. You know, I've got some money saved up. I can, I can help you and help the baby in whatever way. And she said, no, I, I want to know. She said, I want to know, are you going to be with me? She said, I want to know, are you going to marry me? Listen, y'all, I was 20. I, I had plans. 
I was in college, I had dreams, I had goals. I was, in my mind, not ready to be, a, to be married, and certainly not ready to be to a father to a child. So I told her no, I said no, but I'll, I'll help you. And she said, well then, we've gotta get rid of, of this. And a friend gave her $400 for the procedure, as they called it. And she and I went to a hotel room and I handed her the pill. And I was there with her when she took it. And I was there with her when she began to bleed. And I was there with her when she flushed the toilet. And I was there with her when we began to cry and we didn't know why. My child would be 19 years old today, making decisions about maybe one day coming here. You know, some would say that men, men are not responsible for abortions, but I want you to know that I, if David was guilty of murder, then so was I. God used that grievous sin along with many other things to break me and to show me that I had gotten to the place in my life where I loved my life so much that I was willing to take the life of my own child in order to keep my happy little dreams going. And by his mercy, I heard the good news of the gospel, that there's a savior who came from heaven, born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life, very unlike the one that I lived, and then willingly and joyfully died on a cross for sinners like me and like you, and then rose from the dead and proclaims the good news that there's forgiveness for anybody, anybody who will turn from their sin and trust in him, no matter where you've been and no matter what you've done. And in his mercy, he drew me to himself. And then in the most baffling of ways, He's now made me a minister of that gospel. And I love gospel ministry. And I believe that the ministry and the, the, the topic that we're talking about this week of the sanctity of life, I believe it's a gospel issue. And that's why this morning we're gonna spend our time thinking about what, is it, what does the Bible say about life in the womb? What does God say about issues of abortion and, and rights and our bodies and all of those sorts of things? We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and it's, just, it's going to feel more topical than anything I normally preach, but, but I think as we work through this section of Scripture, we're going to see that God gives many details that inform the way that we ought to think about children and the sanctity of life and our, our ministries as gospel ministers in a world a world where babies are not safe in the womb. Now, our main text is going to be Luke chapter 1, 39 through 45. Let me give you just the familiar context. Angel, an angel visits Mary in a small town called Nazareth and announces, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus 
Verse 34, the logical question, how will this be since I am a virgin? 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Verse 36, there's another miraculous conception. It's Elizabeth. She is also conceived a son because verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In our remaining time together, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at, at Two ideas. We're going we're gonna to look at how God's word should shape our minds when we think about the topic of sanctity of life and abortion. And then secondly, we're going to think about how God's word must shape our ministries in a world where these topics are ever prevalent. So first, how God's word must shape our minds when we think about these issues. You see, as, as God's people... Our, our hearts and our minds must be, and our words must be shaped by God's words. And this is very important to understand because we have an adversary who hates what God says. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and there is no truth in him. And when he speaks, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, Satan is a, he's a word twister. That's what he does. He takes, he takes a word and he says, well, what about this? And puts a spin on it. Because he knows that whoever gets to define the terms has the upper hand in a conversation. And he knows that, that that salvation comes through hearing. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. So he wants to do whatever he can to twist what God says about life and reality to distort it so that as there's other words that are out there, we become muddled in our understanding. He's a master at this. You see, he wants to distort realities in our mind. This is why he would tempt some to say, to talk about being pro-choice rather than pro-abortion. Just because it sounds better. That we're, we're going to focus on women's rights, which are very important. We're not going to talk about the baby's survival and the rights there. We're going to call what's in the womb a fetus, which is a scientific term, but, but we're not going to call him or her a baby. We're going to be happy to talk about clumps of cells, but not a child. And the reason is because words matter. But brothers and sisters, as we well know, this is God's world and he gets to define the terms. 
And, and I, I think it's just going to be helpful for us as we look at this text to see the words that God uses to describe situations. So that as we view situations, we think about them in the way that God thinks about them. His word must shape our minds. I realize on some of this I'm preaching to the choir, but don't worry, it'll, it'll get uncomfortable in a moment. But for right now, notice just the word mother. Did you notice it there in chapter 1, verse 43? Elizabeth says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary is called what? She's called a mother, not a potential mother, not a mother-to-be even, not a maybe mommy, but a mother already. And how old is the Lord Jesus in her womb at this point? however long it took for her to leave her house in Nazareth and get up to Elizabeth's house. A couple weeks. The Bible says she's a mother already. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, you formed me, David speaks, you formed my inward parts, you needed me together in my mother's womb. God is at work in the womb of a mother. It's important for us to understand that when someone when there's conception, someone becomes a mother. Also, I think we should notice the theme of life here. Look at chapter one, verse 36. Elizabeth, she has conceived a son. A son has been conceived. Not a ball of tissue, but, but a son has been conceived. A at conception, he's a shoeman. Or chapter 142, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Fruit, as we well know throughout the Bible, is a metaphor for life. You know there's life because there's fruit. Well, there's fruit of the womb, and this, this fruit is still in the womb here. This is why in the law, in Exodus chapter 21, uh, starting in verse 22, if, if a couple guys get to scrapping, they're fighting, and somebody accidentally hits a, a pregnant woman, and the text says, so her children come out. It says if there's no harm to the child, it's okay. But if there is harm, meaning if the child dies, you shall pay a life for a life. Now, if God spoke so strongly about accidental injury to a pregnant woman, and a child, how much more serious is intentional harm to the life in her womb? And we know it's life. We know it, don't we? If we found on Mars what we find in a womb, everybody would be celebrating. We found life. We know it, don't we? Everybody knows it. But Satan, Satan wants to use other words to describe it. But God says, no, it's, it's life. What is in the womb is life. And it's not a Martian, it's a human. It's a human life. It's a baby. You see the word baby there? Chapter 141. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, six-month-old JTB, John the Baptist, leaped in her 
womb. Jesus comes near and JTB loses his mind. <laughs> he's like, it's Jesus. From the womb he's set apart. The baby. And then look at 144. When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for, leapt for joy. We're in seminary here, so I'll give you a, a Greek word, brephos. Okay, there you go. That's the word. It doesn't mean potential life. It doesn't mean an almost person. It's not a maybe baby. What's in her womb is a living, jumping, responding baby. And it's fine to call it a fetus, but you can't deny that he's a baby. He's a baby. It's the same word, this is very important, it's the same word to use to describe what's in the womb as what's outside the womb. So look over just a page, chapter 2, 12. Speaking to the, the angels speak to the shepherds, 2, 12, it says, Speaking of, of Jesus, he's come, go see him. You will find a, what's your word? A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Verse 16, they went in haste and they found the baby lying in a manger. It's the same word because he was a baby in the womb and he's a baby outside the womb. It's the same word in, that Luke uses later on in chapter 18, 15, when um, they, they bring the infants, the babies, to Jesus to bless. It's the same word there. It's the same word that Luke uses later in, the, in Acts chapter 7, 19, when he's recounting the history of, of Israel and all they had gone through and how Pharaoh would expose their infants, their babies which was how they used to have what you might call abortions back in the days. What you would do is you would take children after they were born, this is most normally how it was done, and you would take them out and expose them. You would put them on a hill and you would leave them to the elements and the animals. You see, Satan has always hated image bearers. He's always hated them. It's not just a, a today thing, it's an always thing. But I think it's very important for us to note here that whether inside the womb or outside the womb, this is a baby. One other note here, John the Baptist, at this time when he's, he's jumping here, he's six months old. That's 21 weeks. Just want you to know it is legal in 46 states of our great land of the free to put a baby that age to death. 46 states in our country, it's legal to put a baby that's jumping for joy over Jesus to death. I don't say this to be harsh, but, but words matter, right? To, to, to end a life is, is to kill it. Now, some may, may want to phrase things differently here, but an abortion or a choice to not keep the baby or the termination of a pregnancy are all clearly actions that end life, human life, a baby. This is murder. It's very important for us to have that clear in our mind what God says is happening. Happening. 
And it's happening in our land right now. Yes, there's been progress made, praise be to God, but there is a holocaust in our land. Many of you are familiar with the statistics, but some nearly 3,000 babies will die today. It's 125 an hour. That's two every minute. Two every minute. That's 36 since I started this message. And brothers and sisters, this is, this matters to God because God creates in the womb image bearers and the adversary hates the Lord and he hates those who look like him. So he wants to do all he can to end the life. I just think we need to have that clear in our minds because as we go out, we take this truth and it affects the way we think about reality, but as ministers of the gospel, whether pastors or counselors or faithful members of churches ministering to friends and neighbors and other, other people. We, we need to think like God thinks and speak like God speaks about these issues because light gets in there when we do that because his word is powerful. So God's word must shape our minds and then secondly, God's word must shape our ministries. God's word must shape our ministries. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that God, he gives his word in such a way that he shows how it works out in the lives of real people. Like don't let the black and white pages fool you. These are real people who were born and who lived and who had good days and bad days and all these kinds, these are real people with real joys and real sorrows and real temptations just like you and just like me. And that's very important because through his word we have understood the good news of the gospel and we have seen God's great grace and patience with us and if that's the case, if we've, we've had that kind of grace and patience from the Lord, our ministries are, ought to be marked by the same sort of gentle, persistent, gracious, truth-speaking love. So what I want to do now is I want us to think about how God's word must shape our ministries in, in three particular arenas. The first is how God's word should shape our ministries to those who have an unplanned pregnancy. To those who have an unplanned pregnancy. Now our text shows what you might call the ultimate unplanned pregnancy. I mean, Mary, right? Let's just think about Mary for a moment. She's a virgin. And an angel shows up and says, girl, you're pregnant. Like, that was not on her radar at all. The, the, the Lord, you're going to be, you're pregnant. Now, when you just look at Mary and you just put her on, on paper here, this pregnancy did not seem good for her. I mean, she's a young girl somewhere between 13 and 16, very likely. She's not married. So this comes at a really inconvenient time. She's in a deeply religious culture where paralyzing shame would be associated with pregnancy out of wedlock. I mean, imagine, imagine if, 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 if one of you sisters became pregnant while a student here in an unplanned way. Could you imagine how hard that might be 
in all the ways Satan would whisper in your ear about shame. Then she's got the stress of explaining to Joseph how she's pregnant because he knows that it's not his. And she's got to say, an angel told me. Right? And on top of that, where is Mary from? Nazareth. Nazareth is a small farming village about 12 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Population estimated at around 400 people. How many of y'all from a small town? You know what I'm saying, right? I ministered in a small town of 9,000 people in West Texas. Word travels quickly. Can you imagine what it would be like for this small farm girl to start trying to explain to everybody how she's pregnant and how the rumor mill would just swirl? On paper, she is a prime candidate for somebody who would not keep the baby. But do you notice how Mary thinks about this? Her mind is informed by God's word. Luke 1, 38, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, Mary's understanding of life and her body are submitted to God's word. Mary's under no illusion that she belongs to herself. She is God's. He made her. He loves her. She's confused. There's going to be some stress. There's going to be some fear. But she knows that she belongs to the Lord and that he is faithful. And then there's Joseph, right? I mean, this pregnancy wasn't going to be easy for him either. Now, it was not his. That's, that's very true. But, but there's shame and there's embarrassment with the situation. I mean, listen to Matthew 1. Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things... Just about everything that's going on, it's on his mind. An angel appeared to him. Now, oftentimes, again, we frame abortion as a women's issue. And again, Joseph is not the best example because this is not his child, but, but this is a good opportunity to say, we need to make sure that in our ministries, in our churches, and with people that we're talking to, that we don't, we don't repeat Eden where Eve is standing there with the fruit and Adam's just sitting over there watching. It's his fault. Not everybody's getting pregnant by miraculous conception or in vitro. There is a man who has responsibility here. Brothers and mothers, let's raise a generation of men who understand responsibility and consequences for decisions that we make. That glorifies God. Now, the reason I give all of this here is because one thing that I think that we can glean from just thinking about what this is like for Mary is how important a posture of compassion is toward those who have an unplanned pregnancy. Now, I don't, I don't say this to undermine the blessedness of children, but it is terribly scary to find yourself in a situation like this where you're expecting and you weren't wanting to be. It is terrifying. I mean, I just recently met with some friends who loved the Lord, but found out they were pregnant in a time where they were not expecting it. And they were just, they're brutally honest, which we, listen, the church, if you can't be brutally honest there, where else can you be? But they were just brutally honest with me and talking about how, 
how scary this is for them because there's dreams that are coming crashing down for them. There were plans for school and travel and, and time with the spouse. There are fears that come rushing in about health and about money. How are we going to pay for this? And about reputation. What are people going to think? Or statistic. We had, we had yeah, I know another um, young African-American girl who, who got pregnant um, out, of, uh, out of wedlock. And when she came and talked to me about it, how fearful she was. She just didn't want to be a statistic. That's real. It, it, it pulls on us. And you feel like you can't go back to the Bible study or back to the church or that town. You got to get out of there. Or just get out of the situation. And if you've never been in that particular situation, you know what it feels like to be tempted to want to hide, to want to escape a scary predicament. Now, I just want to say to you this morning that that if you're considering an abortion, even this morning, maybe you're here and, and you're not a Christian. For whatever reason you're here this morning, I want to just tell you, I think it's great that you're here. We're thankful that you're here. I think there's no better place for you to be. And if this is you or you're hearing this online this morning for whatever reason, I want you to know that it is God's mercy that you would hear this day about a Savior who promises to meet you right where you are. He doesn't tell you to get cleaned up and then come to him. He came and was clean on our behalf and died for all the ways that we are not. And then he rose from the dead and he will walk with you through this. But he wants you to trust him. He wants you to turn away from your sin and trust in him. I or or many of the other people who are here today would love to talk with you about that. Or if you're a Christian and you found yourself this morning in an unplanned pregnancy, I just want you to remember this, that whether it happened as, yeah, um, in sin or whether a married couple, this has happened in the timing you weren't hoping for, I want you to know this, that you have a good father. You have a good father. And all his works are done in faithfulness. And this is not a surprise to him, and he will, he will give you what is good. He'll give you what's good. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells us that we have a father that when we ask him for bread, he doesn't give us a stone. He won't always give you bread, but he doesn't give you a stone. And when you ask him for a fish, he won't give you a snake. He might not give you a fish, but he he won't give you a snake. He's a good father, and he will help you through this. And there are people here who will walk with you. That's what the church is about. You see, our posture toward, as we minister to those who have an unplanned pregnancy, must be one of sympathy. I mean, if there's, Jesus Jesus teaches that we can have sympathy without having to sin in the same way. Hebrews 5 teaches us that. He's a sympathetic high priest, but he never sinned. Now, I want to say that for, for many of us, it's easy for us to feel like we're above abortion. I've I've been a part of one. And even later as a Christian, I've felt that. It's, it's easy for us to feel like we're ab- above this in some way, that we would, we would never do that. But we must be very, very careful in our ministry for God's word to shape our mind as we think about situations. Because we must remember that we are much more like those who get and consider abortions than we are unlike them. 
If the gospel teaches us anything, it is that we are much more like those who get and consider abortions than we are unlike them. And I just want to say that if you can't see that, you are going to cause a lot of pain in your ministry. You see, because life-giving ministry is birthed out of a compassionate humility that knows that we are but debtors, all of us, regardless of how we stacked up the debt. You see, he who has been forgiven much loves much, both the Lord and others. And the Pharisees were masters in seeing how others sinned worse than they did by picking and choosing parts of the Bible. Don't, let us not be too quick to forget how much you have been forgiven of. The Bible says that when God looks down from heaven, he can't find any who are righteous. No, not one, but his son. Remember that that you may not have sinned to the same degree of someone who has had an abortion, murder, or considers an abortion, plotting murder, but haven't you sinned with the same type of sin? I mean, Jesus says that if you're angry with someone in your heart, that you are guilty in the same way as murder. Friends, life-giving ministry flows from a deep union with Jesus that is characterized by an awareness that we're no better than anybody else. So as you minister to and among those who are considering abortions, may we go with gospel humility. Secondly, God's word must shape our ministries among or to those who promote abortion. To those who promote abortion. As we know that there are many who dedicate their entire lives to furthering the freedom of women and men to kill their children. And as we engage with them, we must remember that the way we do it is very important. Personal relationship is always best, but, but think about the posture. Just listen to this from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The way you minister to those who are furthering the cause of abortion matters very much. Because if we are really pro-life, then we should be pro-life for everybody. And we should show the honor and the dignity that everybody deserves, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of uh, skin color, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of cultural background, regardless of what they do, their political views. It, it doesn't matter. Sin matters, and we need to talk about that, yes, but, but the way that we treat people matters because people are made in God's image. 
What I'm about to share with you, I got permission from this, this person to share this. We've become friends now, but there's a woman a number of years ago who, who filmed an abortion. She, she went to the abortion clinic and she had the camera rolling the whole time, the, all the way through her abortion, leading up to it, through it, afterwards in the car, her thoughts on it and all those kinds of things. And she, she posted it publicly and went, it went viral and um, got a lot of attention. So I wrote, I wrote a blog post um, to her sharing my own story and offering to, yeah, for her to know about Jesus and how God might change her story. Well, she, she, wrote, she wrote me back and asked if we could talk. And I, I did, and she said, you know, I wanna, I wanna let you know this. She said, I have a Christian friend who's been talking to me about Jesus for a long, long time, and she is so upset right now because of all of the hate, hateful and just downright evil responses that I am getting from Christians people in the name of Jesus saying what they wish would happen to me and all these other things. She said, but your, your tone was, was different and so I thought I would hear you out. She hasn't come to know the Lord yet. We've had a number of conversations. We've had lots of discussions about things. Pray for her to come know the Lord. I don't, I don't share that in all for me to be the hero of the the story. I've put plenty of stuff on social media that I've had to delete because of foolishness. But, but the reason I share it is because of this. She said the most hateful responses that she got were from Christians. What she did was demonic. But so was many of the responses that pro-lifers gave her. Just because you're pro-life doesn't mean you're godly. Satan is happy to use pro-lifers to further his cause. He's happy to do that, to push people further away from understanding who Jesus really is. Now, I'm a pro-lifer. I'm all, I'm all about it. But the way that we minister to our opponents matters. Speak truth. Speak truth in love. But do it with gentleness. You see, our hope is in the power of the gospel because the gospel changes people. It's not us saying, you're an idiot. I don't believe you could think like that. What? We're all idiots. I mean, you ever just imagine what the angels are doing while they watch us? Good night. Just what are they doing all the time? Such idiots. I mean, we are. Who are we to point fingers at others? No. And I want you to know the gospel can change people. Well, I was a pastor in Texas. There was a gentleman who started visiting to our, visiting our church. And um, he, was a, he, was a, he was a doctor in town. And I, I knew that. But, and he came for about maybe two months or something like that. And then after, after one of the messages, he came to me and he said, hey, I need to talk to you. And he pulled me aside. And with tears in his eyes, he looked at me and he said, I need you to know something. He said, I've committed, I've performed hundreds of abortions. Hundreds of them. 
He said, but I've heard about this Jesus that you're talking about, and I will never do it again. And he repented. And now he uses his office and his sonogram machine to help people save life. You see, the gospel changes people one person at a time. May we minister in that way. And then finally, in conclusion, as we think about how God's word shapes those who have had an abortion, our ministry to them, those who have had them, I just want you to remember that statistically speaking, our churches are going to have all sorts of people who have had them. You may even have a church where the pastor is one who's had them. If you meet with somebody and they are hardened, just be patient. Remember that's not the only sin. Look for other windows where more light might get in and just minister to them. Don't pigeonhole them as having done this. We're all sinners in all sorts of ways. Meet them where they are. Pray for light in other areas and patiently love. And then maybe one day you'll be able to get in there on that. But if you meet someone who has had an abortion and they are broken, rejoice. Rejoice, because that is a work of God. There is no greater honor than hearing someone confess a sin because God's word has moved on them and his spirit has moved. So ask them, what are they thinking? What what do they think God's saying to them? What's God saying to them through their word? Be patient and give them the good news of the gospel. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is rest for their souls. The prophet Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be wool. Brothers and sisters, Jesus shed his blood to cover all of our transgressions. Hold the gospel before those who are hurting. And if that's you this morning, you've never talked about an abortion that you've had, I want you to know that gospel's for you today too. I'm happy to talk with you afterwards. I'll be up front. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, your word is truth. Set us apart in your truth. God, would you please help us even now as we go forth to have our minds and our ministries shaped by your word for your glory. We thank you and we pray for help. Change our land and use us in whatever way you might. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.